Every day at lunch, he would take one bite of his sandwich and then he put it in his bag and then one bite of his fruit and put it in his bag. He was taking all of that home for his sisters because without that food, his sisters wouldn't eat. So with the breakfast in the classroom, he thought, hey, this is gonna go away because everything that I get gets taken away. At the end of the school year, um, he thanked me for making sure that we had breakfast in the classroom, but he also cried because he had to move. And the kid's been defiant and they're in the office and you find out the root of it is really because the kid is hungry and the kid didn't get a chance to eat breakfast. And so as a school principal, I want to eliminate that. I understand that we probably can't fix every meal for them, but imagine the child who doesn't want to go out on summer break because they're worried about not being able to get a meal at school every day. You know, when I asked her what it felt like to be that hungry, she said, it feels like you want to be dead because it's peaceful being dead. Hunger is a political condition. And the reason why I say that is because we can solve this. We have the money, we have the food, we have everything to solve it. We don't, we, we, we've lacked the political will. Quite frankly, that's an indictment of both parties. Today in America, the wealthiest country in the world, there are millions of kids wondering where their next meal will come from. Millions of children experiencing the effects of hunger on their physical and mental well-being. And it's inexcusable because we know that hunger is a solvable problem. I'm Billy Shore, and this is Add Passion and Stir, the podcast from Share Our Strength, the nonprofit organization that runs the No Kid Hungry campaign. Our organization is focused on ending childhood hunger, and we work with public and private entities across the country who are working together to reach this goal. This is the second of a three-part series exploring why food is the most important school supply and how feeding kids in school is critical to helping end childhood hunger. Because at No Kid Hungry, not only do we know that hunger is a solvable problem, we know that we have the tools to ensure that kids get three meals a day, even if their families are food insecure or in poverty. In today's episode, you'll learn what leaders are doing at the federal, state, and local level to address childhood hunger, with a focus on addressing the problem in schools. We'll be back right after this. Making sure every kid in America gets the food they need to survive and thrive is a responsibility that we all share, and commitment from the top levels of government is essential. On September 28, 2022, I'll join my partners in the fight to end hunger at the first White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health in over 50 years. President Biden recently explained the extraordinary need for this summit. I'll be convening a White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health. We'll bring together anti-hunger and nutrition advocates, food companies, local and state governments, tribal and territory communities to lay out our plan to combat hunger and improve nutrition for every American. It really matters. Too many families don't know where they're going to get their next meal. There are too many empty chairs around the kitchen table because a loved one was taken by heart disease, diabetes, or other diet-oriented diseases. And it's time we make real change. I'm committed. I'm committed to taking bold steps that are going to help end hunger and enable everyone everyone to have access to affordable, healthy food and safe places to be physically active. President Biden's announcement echoed our beliefs that share our strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. First and foremost, we can end hunger in America. We have the resources and we have the money. 
Second, we all need to work together across party lines, up and down all levels of government, and in concert with nonprofits, local schools, and community leaders and corporations to address the magnitude of the issue of childhood hunger in America. And third, we must deliver results for all children with an emphasis on underserved and marginalized communities. The crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic revealed just how vulnerable American children's access to nutritious food truly is. In 2021, I spoke with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack about the lessons from COVID-19 that could be applied to the pandemic of hunger in America. What do we do with this crisis? Well, I hope we see it as a challenge, a commitment to double down on the work of Share Our Strength, to double down on the capacity and the ability of the federal government working in partnership with organizations like Share Our Strength to end hunger among children in this country. What a great legacy it would be for this generation of Americans who have gone through COVID to take a horrific tragedy and to turn it into an amazing opportunity to provide help and assistance and to make sure that no child is hungry. That's the, that's the challenge. Uh, I think we're up to it. We're looking forward to transform our food and agriculture system to make sure that people across the United States have access to quality, good, nutritious food for all of our children to be fed, for our school meals to be improved, for opportunities to be expanded to take full benefits and advantage of government programs and to provide the support and help to food banks and to share our strength and other organizations that are committed to ending hunger in the United States. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona shared a similar hope when I spoke with him in August of this year. We don't have to build it back the way it was in March 2020 when we knew there was disproportionality around food insecurity. So my message to you and to your listeners and to to the school leaders is, look, we have an opportunity here to benefit from the disruption of the pandemic and do something that we did exceptionally well in 2020. We collaborated intentionally with people outside of our organizations, okay? I was talking to epidemiologists daily. I was talking to OSHA representatives daily. I was talking to the local food bank daily. So we created those partnerships out of necessity. Let's not go back to a system where we work in silos. That's my message that we have an opportunity here to lead at a time when disruption happened and we don't have to build it back the way it was because the way it was led to food insecurity for too many children. And, you know, sadly, you could almost predict based on zip code, which students would have food insecurity. So let's not go back to a system and people who are in positions of leadership, we'd be failing the constituents we serve if we were content going back to a system where we know it didn't work for some people. I always tell superintendents, look, we have 50 million reasons to roll up our sleeves and fight hard. And they're sitting in front of us. Same with food insecurity. We have children whose families are working really hard and they don't have stable food sources. And we have an opportunity to act on that at the Congress level, at the department level, at the local level, at the nonprofit level, and at the school level. The Department of Agriculture and the Department of Education are strengthening the programs that we rely on to feed kids. Sarah Bleich, the Director of Nutrition Security and Health Equity for the Food and Nutrition Service at the USDA, shared about the reach and impact of USDA's food programs. We deliver a suite of more than 15 nutrition assistance programs, and together they serve one in four Americans over the course of a year. The programs, um, the big ones, reach um, 41 million Americans through SNAP, which many people know as food stamps, 30 million kids each day through National School Lunch and Breakfast, 
and nearly half of all infants in the U.S. through women, infants, and children, which is the WIC program. I don't know of another way to impact so many people in a positive way than to have the opportunity to do this work at USDA because the reach of the department is so broad in terms of how much coverage it has throughout the country, particularly in the school space. You know, many participants in our programs receive about half of their daily nutritional needs through these programs. There is a study that was released not too long ago in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which found that school meals are the healthiest meals kids receive each day. Um, So there's a lot that's important about school meals. And I think the message is that when we move the needle on nutrition in school meals, we can really expect to see meaningful impacts for millions of children. As comprehensive as these programs are, Director Bleich acknowledges that they still do not meet all of the challenges that hunger presents in America today, in many cases because of structural racism. It is a game changer for USDA to be talking about structural racism. Structural racism is not simply the result of private prejudices, meaning I feel a certain way about someone, but it is something that is produced and reproduced by laws and rules and practices that are sanctioned and even implemented by various levels of government. And it could be embedded in the economy as well as societal norms. So the fact that millions of people lack equitable access to healthy food is driven by structural racism. The fact that there is limited access to to green space, the public schools are not good. That is also linked to structural racism. So there are policies which have been in place or in some cases may still be in place which are impacting the fabric of American life and the opportunities to which people have access. And what the evidence is very clear about is that structural racism harms health in ways that can be described, measured, and dismantled. And this is the bridge to nutrition security and where your listeners can make a difference because you can think about what are all the different ways that we see longstanding disparities in health outcomes and a host of other outcomes And how can we lean in on those and not just change things in terms of how people think, but change policies and systems and environments so that the barriers that existed before are brought down to create equitable opportunities? Director Bleich's definition of structural racism is so important. Her words, structural racism is not simply the result of private prejudices. It is something that is produced and reproduced by laws and rules and practices that are sanctioned and even implemented by various levels of government. 20 years of research conducted by the USDA shows that food insecurity among non-Hispanic black households and Hispanic households is more than double that of non-Hispanic white households. Other sources show similar levels of food insecurity for indigenous people. The federal government has announced its commitment to eradicating hunger in the United States by 2030. But any strategies must address how structural racism is perpetuating food insecurity in America. And it will take the commitment of leaders at the state and local level to achieve that goal. We spoke with the First Ladies of Hawaii and Wyoming to learn more about the efforts those two states, like so many others, are putting into ending childhood hunger. The First Lady of Hawaii, Don Amano Ige, brings her experience as a former educator to her work to end childhood hunger in Hawaii beginning with the Jumpstart Breakfast Initiative. Unfortunately, Hawaii, we saw with some of the statistics that breakfast participation in our schools, we were the lowest and sometimes the second to the lowest 
state in the country uh, with breakfast participation among the free and reduced lunch children. And we thought that was such a missed opportunity for our families. So we wanted to really look for ways to help increase their participation and interest in breakfast. So we developed this program called Jumpstart Breakfast, and it incorporated many different things to help promote the value and importance of breakfast. And we really have to thank our school managers, our school cafeteria workers. They're really unsung heroes that really do so much for our children and so much for food security and helping assure kids get that healthy meal every day. But of course, there's always a need out there. So the need continues and the awareness need to continue. And in order to meet that need, First Lady Amano Ige leveraged the flexibility offered by government waivers because of COVID-19 restrictions. The result was a solution where families could access food over the summer when schools were not in session. We took advantage of one of those waivers and we saw the need and success if this waiver was allowed to continue. So one of the programs that um, I advocated for, and we had many nonprofits implementing this, it's called our Cow Cow for Keiki program. That's the Hawaiian word for children, and we often refer to them as keiki. It's an endearing term that we have for children. So it's food for keiki. And this is a summer program where um, instead of normally uh, in a summer food program, a child needs to come to a certain location, pick up a single meal, have the meal at the location, and then they they can leave. But with the waivers, it allowed, um, the waivers allow us to do more creative things, especially in the more rural areas. So in this Cow Cow for Keiki program, instead of a one-time meal, we put together boxes, uh, a meal box. So it's ingredients, seven days of ingredients for breakfast and lunch in a single box. So a child or their family could just come one time to the location, once a week only, take that box home and have ingredients for a child's breakfast and lunch for seven days. And that makes a huge difference for access, especially in the rural areas. And that proved to be be quite successful. Jenny Gordon is the First Lady of Wyoming, a state that, like Hawaii, has geographic challenges in feeding children who live in hard-to-reach places. First Lady Gordon accepted those challenges and created unique public-private partnerships that have helped an incredible number of families throughout the far reaches of her state. Hunger in Wyoming currently is about one in every six children has food insecurity, which really means they just don't know where their next meal might be coming from. That's about 23,000 kids. We're a pretty sparsely populated state, so that might be one of the top 10 size cities in our state which is really important to recognize and know that that's not just, you know, one one or two here and there, but a pretty significant part of our population. I think people are very good at hiding food insecurity, but I did have a friend in Sheridan who was purchasing two grocery carts full of breakfast cereal, bananas, and so forth. And I knew she only had three children. So I asked her, you know, what her plans were with all the food. And she was packing bags to take the kids to take home over the weekend for those kids who maybe had most of their meals in school, but then faced about 48 hours of of food insecurity. 
And I, you know, Sheridan County is a pretty, you know, it's, it's not a very uh, high poverty county. So I asked her about how many children she was doing that for. And it was about 500 every week. I asked First Lady Gordon about the importance of school programs in feeding children in Wyoming. Well, you know, they're really huge for those children that are food insecure, which is about 23,000 in our state. So just, you know, when you're getting most of your meals in school or at an after school program, those weekend food bags are certainly important. And so I think the school stepping up with a nutritious meal and, and being aware then to identify those children who might need that extra food over the weekend. I think they're they're excellent at it. I don't think anyone who has a heart can uh, look at a child that might be suffering or hungry and, and not want to help, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or libertarian. We all want these children to have a better life, a better chance. And, you know, it's one of the most basic needs and being able to provide that or help provide that for a child really fills your heart. In Wyoming, you know, we noticed the supply food supply chain problems occur pretty early. You uh, couldn't find uh, certain things in the grocery store and good protein, high quality protein was one of them. And so um, some of our rancher friends said, you know, right now we might have an animal that we were going to take to the sale barn, but we would rather donate that to, um, you know, those in need. So we were able to put a program together with the partnerships of the Wyoming Stockers Association, the um, Department of Agriculture, and the Hunger Initiative to get those animals into um, be processed and then be able to get those back out to people. Um, Grow a Little Extra was one of those programs where it was kind of like a victory garden. If you're planting a garden, could you put in the extra row? And what was exciting about it, it was our first year, we had over 10,000 pounds of produce that was donated throughout the state. And those are some things that are so expensive as, you know, good fresh fruits and vegetables, as well as proteins. Despite being separated by thousands of miles and a political divide, these two first ladies are united in their focus on the needs of others. Why? Because they rightly identify that feeding children should not be a partisan issue. Similarly, two mayors, one Republican and one Democrat, have come together as the chair and vice chair of the Mayor's Alliance to End Childhood Hunger, a group that Share Our Strength helps to lead. Richmond, Virginia Mayor LeVar Stoney, a Democrat, and Mesa, Arizona Mayor John Giles, a Republican, are leading efforts to unite mayors all across America in the effort to end childhood hunger. The alliance already has mayors from cities in 41 states and the District of Columbia enlisted in their membership. Both Mayor Stoney and Giles agree about the scope of the problem. Mayor Stoney spoke to the pain of seeing hungry children. I think we can all agree that it's, it's just heartbreaking to know that there are children who might be hiding it when they enter those school doors each and every day, but they're going home into a situation where they're at times, you can say, essentially starving, starving at night and waiting to get back into school the next day to get get that meal. And so we have a, a special role to play in highlighting this. And it's not just mayors, it's all of our community's leaders. Mayor Giles affirms the devastating scope of the problem and the importance for leadership from elected officials. I remember when I was a brand new mayor, I had a meeting with our uh, the, the superintendent of our largest school district, and which is the largest school district in the state, uh, over uh, 80 schools, so it's over 65,000 kids. Uh, it's, it's just a major school district. And, and uh, at, towards the end of the meeting, he, uh, as we were talking about things that the city could do to, to, to be a good partner, 
he said something that, that was just very uh, life-changing for me. He looked me in the eye and he said, poverty is doing very well in Mesa, Arizona. I reflect back on that conversation, if not every day, then, then frequently, because it, you know, if we focus on, on the, the good news, you know, we, we, <laughs> we could really uh, fool ourselves into thinking that you know, all is well here. Uh, and it's not. We we have significant uh, childhood poverty and childhood uh, food security issues in, in our city, as I think we do in most or all cities in the United States. Unlike much of what we see currently in American political discourse, feeding hungry children is something on which all parties can agree. Here again is Mayor Stoney. I, I think sometimes people try to define an issue like childhood hunger as a political uh, issue, right, uh, between Democrats and Republicans. But you know, I think when you're in the in this role as mayor, you find out that this is this is about humanity and how we uh, treat uh, our our children, uh, our families with dignity. And so uh, the work that we've done here in Richmond, I think, sort of demonstrates what you can do around the issue of childhood hunger. Here's a, there's, there's Democrats, Republicans, mayors from small cities, uh, mid-sized cities, big cities as well. Recognize that this is not a political issue. This is a humanitarian issue. And what better way to show your compassion for the child in your community, joining the alliance and stepping up our efforts to make sure uh, our children don't go hungry. These policymakers are doing the right thing, but across the country, we're not doing nearly enough when it comes to feeding kids. As we've shown in this episode, we know what policies and programs are needed. What's missing is a seismic shift in our priorities as a country. We need you and everyone you know to demand that leaders at every level of government prioritize taking better care of all our kids. Share Our Strength and It's No Kid Hungry campaign have identified five timely, actionable policy changes that can immediately begin to improve nutrition access for families so that every child can have a healthy start in life. If you search No Kid Hungry 2022 policy, you can learn more about them. And there's a link to the White House portal where you can urge that the White House adopt them. Here's a quick snapshot of what we're proposing. Number one, modernize the summer meals program. Number two, support nationwide summer EBT, the summer electronic benefit transfer. Number three, strengthen SNAP, the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Number four, expand no-cost school meals. And number five, improve WIC the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. Remember, search No Kid Hungry 2022 policy to learn more about these life-changing possibilities and to contact the White House to express your support. In our next episode of Food is the Most Important School Supply, we're going to highlight our hunger heroes, individuals who are sharing their strengths to end childhood hunger. These are people like you and me who are making an impact at a local level, but who collectively have the power to change the world. I'm Billy Shore. Thanks so much for listening. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.